Hey, uh, we've, we've been in the book of Proverbs for a number of weeks now. If you've got a Bible, find your way there. It's right in the middle of the Bible, and then turn to your right. You'll probably hit Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the shelves on the side or find one on your phone or wherever. Um, look on with your neighbor, but find the book of Proverbs, and then find your way to chapter 30. Um, as you're getting there, I uh, just want to let you know. Actually, let me ask if you can do two things at once, if you can turn and listen, and then a third thing, raise your hand if needed. But how many of you were here last week when, when we had chicken and waffles at the end of our gatherings? Okay, great. Um, you were here for what I, my vote is that's the best it's going to get this summer. I don't know. We're going to try to beat it every week, but um, we've got a crew of folks that are helping make this happen. So we're just having kind of like a, just a mini short party at the end of every one of our gatherings this, this summer. We've got, we've got donuts. Um, I don't know. There may or may not be, be bacon involved in those. I don't, I don't think there is. So if there's not and it's just donuts, then that's like just having waffles and not chicken. And so um, you can play makeup for missing last week, but you, you missed it. It was July 4th weekend and we had chicken and waffles and it was a blast, but if you haven't stuck around, it, it's a lot of fun. We've done it for a couple weeks now and invite you to do that. Um, yeah, so that's that, now that we mentioned donuts, we can get to, get to the Bible. Um, we've been in Proverbs for the summer. We've been in this year of just doing a reading plan together. If you haven't jumped on it, I would invite you to. It's just there's a, um, an email that goes out every Thursday, and then there's also a bookmark that you can grab in the, in the back in the lobby somewhere. But there's just a, a, a chunk of verses every day that we've been reading together. And um, this summer, we've been in Proverbs, and then part of the reading is Psalms as well. But we've been teaching out of Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs allows us to hit a whole lot of different topics. And the whole book book of Proverbs is, is an invitation from God to me and to you to step more into the good life that, that God has created. Not that we create for ourselves or that somebody else envisions and then gives to us or directs us in, but it's, it's the good life as God designed it and created it and, and invites us into it. And so it's all about all the things that, that make up our lives that are a part of our lives that are involved in our lives. And, and through it all, the thread that runs through all of it is there's this invitation to wisdom. And wisdom is, is how, to, how to see things from God's perspective and how to live it out in our lives, how to take action as God would invite us to and, and want us to. And, and in a lot of ways, the, the Bible gives a lot of clear direction for, for living life and for living life according to, to how God wants us to and, and, and really what's best for us and others. But then there's a lot of decisions in life that, that are, are not really explicitly answered for us in the Bible, that we actually have to have to work the muscle of our decision maker to go, how do I make a decision regarding this part of my life or when this shows up or that shows up? And, and the Bible, there's not, there's not an index where you can go to every single decision that's going to show up in life. And the book of Proverbs is this part that says, here, as you grow in wisdom, you actually have guidance for how to make these. But it takes practice. It takes time. It even takes age to learn. But we all can learn it. Wisdom is a, is a skill and it's there for all of us. And so we've been looking at a number of different topics of how to grow in our wisdom. And, uh, and last week we, uh, we talked about, the, the book of Proverbs talked about, and so we talked about uh, adultery and, and sexuality. And so that was, that's, that's super comfortable and, and easy to talk about and listen to. And, and so we got through that. And so I thought this week we'll just do a, a, an easy one since last week was, it wasn't so easy. And so, um, so we're going to talk about money. Um, and this, this may or may not be a surprise to you, but um, I would rather talk about sex than money. I don't know where you land on those two, but there you go. And uh, yeah, so welcome to summer church. Listen to sex podcast last week and this week money. Um, and here's, here's the deal. I, I don't like talking about money um, with anyone. I don't like thinking about money, actually. I'd rather not think about it or talk about it. But it's a significant part of all of our lives. It's one of the key things for 
Human beings, the world over, history over, causes anxiety and stress, and it's something that is ever-present in our lives. And so it makes perfect sense that God would actually have a lot to say about it. In fact, it's the second thing that Jesus talked about the most. He talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God the most, of how to live more into God's life. And secondly, because it's so relevant and permeates so much of our life, is talked about money. And so we need to talk about money. Uh, it's, it's um, I don't know what the, my wife Abby and I got in a fight this week about money. And I would have liked to tell you that we got in a fight about money so that I could weave it into my talk on Sunday. Um, but that's not how, we just got into a fight about money. And here's the thing. Um, and if you're married, you've, you've done that, right? Um, and if you haven't, I don't want to know about it. Um, but if you're married, uh, you've gotten into a fight about money with your spouse. Um, the thing for Abby and I is that um, we're actually getting better at handling our own conversations, discussions about money. This fight wasn't even about our money. We got into a fight about a relative's handling of money. So even when it's other people's money, it, it affects our lives and how do we think about it and how do we process it and how it affects us and everything around us. And, and what I want us to see is, is a few verses in, there's over a hundred verses in Proverbs about money, wealth, poverty, how to handle it, how to deal with it well, all of that. Um, and so what I want to do is just hit every single one of those this morning. <laughs> Starting, no. Um, I want to just take a few, because there's, there's so many in, in, in there, and there's a, it addresses so many different things, and it's hard to kind of just even synthesize all of it. And so what I've done is I've, I've, I've picked one that, that actually paints a picture for us about how money can become the factor in our life. And by the factor, I mean the thing that begins to direct how we feel, think, operate, and relate to everyone. It becomes the, the true north for our life, that it, it, it begins to take our whole focus, and it, it money, the pursuit of it, the need of it, the use of it, the managing of it, money becomes a thing that our whole life gets oriented around, underneath, and for. And so we're going to look at a quick picture of that uh, and then how to, how to maybe avoid that or stay away from that or guard against that. So uh, in chapter 30, uh, starting in verse 7, it, it says this. And what this is, is it's uh, sayings from a guy named Augur in um, we don't know a ton about Augur, but he has these sayings of what he's learned through life, and it's the whole chapter of, of 30. We're going to look at just a couple of verses. Augur says this. He says, two things I ask of you, Lord, before I die. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Here's the two things. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. We can talk about that at another time. We're not going to talk about that this morning. The second thing is this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. So Augur is saying, here's a, here's a saying, it made it into Proverbs, made it into our scripture. It's, it, there's wisdom in this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I, I don't want either extreme. Now, my guess is, is that most of us have prayed that prayer at somewhere or had that wish at some point. Give me, give me neither exorbitant wealth or poverty. And for those of you that have not prayed that, you've at least prayed, don't give me poverty. I'll take the exorbitant wealth if, if I have to, if I have to choose. But, but we've all prayed something similar to this. I don't, I don't want one of the extremes. And if I do, give me the one where I can have a lot. That's, that's why. That's his prayer before he dies. God, this is one of my top level prayers that I'm going to keep coming to you with and, and, and praying. 
But what's so helpful is the next verse, he, he then begins to paint a picture of the reasons why. Why wouldn't you want one, of, one or the other? And he says this, verse 9, otherwise, here's the reason why, otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's just, that's just practical. That's just, can we say that? That's even obvious. God, if I have too much, here's, the, here's, here's my thinking behind my prayer, God. If I have too much, I'll become proud and I won't need you, God. I'll disown you. Who, who is the Lord? When, well, and the answer is, is my money at that point is my Lord. That has become the ruling thing in my life. If I have too much, then I, I actually don't need God. I disown God. I move beyond him. I don't need him. He doesn't serve any purpose in my life anymore because I have money. So if I have too much wealth, that's what's going to happen. If I have too little, what it says is that I, I'll, I'll steal and dishonor the name of the Lord. But think about it this way. If I have too little, that might actually drive me to desperation where I choose and make decisions that are counter to my character, that are counter to who and, and how I want to be. It changes me if I have too little. So God, can, can you help me avoid both of those and, and kind of stay somewhere in the middle? Many of us have thought that way. Many of us have prayed that prayer before. God, if I have too much, I'm going to disown you. That's a really good thing to be aware of. And for those of us, and actually I'm not included in this, so for those of you who at some point in your life has, have had a lot, that idea creeps in. If I, if I just get this much, then I'll, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be sufficient. Or even the thought of when I get to this level of income or savings or retirement or position in, in a company or business, then, then God, I'll be ready to pursue you because I don't, because I'll have the time and I'll, I'll be safe enough. And so if you can get me there, God, I'm not, I'm not going to pay attention to you. I'm going to kind of ignore you. But if I can get there, then maybe I'll invite you in. And that rarely happens because, you know, what we do, it becomes habit forming. And then we, we, arrive at some level of income. We go, I don't, I don't need God now anyways, and um, I'm not going to pursue him. We're not the first kind of culture or generation to, to think that way. In fact, that's just, that's just woven deeply into the human condition. And it's woven so deeply in that in the very first few books of Scripture, in the book of Deuteronomy, it addresses that very thing. When you get enough and you find satisfaction in what you have, what happens is that God slides out of the picture. It's just how we operate. It's just how we function. Moses is talking to uh, the people of Israel, and he, he's preparing them for, to, to, to live and function in the promised land. So God has promised his people, the Israelites, this, this wonderful land, this lush land. It's how he's relating to them. And if you're not, if you're not familiar with that portion of scripture, that part of, of, of history, what God is doing is he's saying, I'm going to demonstrate to all people through all times who I am and what my character is by my relationship. You're going to be able to see in a relationship who I am, what I'm like. And the relationship is going to be between God and the people of Israel. And he says, I'm going to give you something, and I'm going to follow through on my word and prove trustworthy. And so you're going to get this land, and it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be great. I'm going to bless you. Moses says, hey, as you head into this blessing, as you head into this land, listen to this. Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, starting with verse 10. It's fascinating. Listen to this. When you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So when you have a great meal and you feel satisfied, that, that, that point where you're like, I don't need another bite. Everybody's been good and I am full and I am satisfied and I'm sitting in comfort and this was great. At that point, when you feel that, when those thoughts run through your head, 
when you feel that sense of contentment and satisfaction, in that moment, praise God. Because it's from God. Praise God in that moment. So as we sing, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. So before Proverbs, Moses is actually saying, here's, here's some wisdom on how to live according to God or the good life as God designed it. So be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, and here's the reason why, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, when that, when that, I mean, that sounds great, huh? Man, he built a nice house. Settled down, which that's Hebrew for bought nice furniture. When, when, when you've got gold and, 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 and silver that are increased, your bank account is, is gaining great interest and your retirement funds are just flourishing. When all you have is multiplied more and more and more, then, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord. I mean, not us, them, not us, but them. Then your heart will come, become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it just starts talking about who God is and what he's done. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. No one else has done that. God did that. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. He just invented food for you. You were in the desert. He broke a rock and, and made it pour out water, and then he created a new food for you. Might not have been as tasty as you would have liked, but I mean, he created he just brand new food for you to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I've done this. I've earned this. I've learned this skill. I've made these decisions. I've worked hard. I've gotten up early and stayed up late. I've worked when everybody else went home. I was the last one on the job. I took the risk and started the business. I did this. I did this. I did this. I mean, this isn't Deuteronomy. This is even in the New Testament. This is way back then. People have been thinking this for a very, very long time. But... But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Money. Money is one of the key, sex was too, but money is one of the key ways that our world is oriented and functions that is counter to and contrasts what God says in the Bible. We believe, and I mean we as, as our world, as our culture, as humanity, we believe that we make wealth happen. We, and, and we seem to have a lot of proof of that. We seem to have, a, I mean, go, do a search sometimes on, on how to become rich. What, what will pop up if you don't know? It's, it's all the ways that, that wealthy people live that poor people don't. 
It's a whole lot of lists, and it fills a whole bunch of books on how to do it. And you can go to, go to a lot of seminars. This is what wealthy people do. Here's the top five things, top 10 things, top 40 things, top 12, whatever it is. Top lists, over and over and over. This is what wealthy people do to become wealthy, and this is what poor people do, do not do. And if they did, they'd probably be, and that's, that's the message that we believe. These are the things, we, and, and this, this book, God and his story, tells us something completely different. God claims he's the one that he produces wealth. Our problem with that is that he doesn't produce it at the right timing and in the right ratio and in the right frequency that we want, which is why it says your heart. Then your heart will go in this direction. Then you're, It's not talking about numbers in the bank account and it's not talking about the hours that you worked. It's talking about your heart. What is your heart desiring? And part of wisdom is continually submitting and reshaping our heart to what God wants for us. That's what wisdom is. It consistently gives us tests and calls us to go in this direction, not that direction. Because this is what happens. When we get wealthy, when we pursue wealth, when we allow money to be the true north that directs all of our decisions and focus and energy, we begin to become about us. And we forget God and we begin to disown him. And we begin to say, as Augur does in Proverbs 30, verse 8, who are you, God? Who is, who is the Lord? I don't know because I've got enough. I've got enough. One of the things that, that Proverbs addresses and that the Bible calls us to over and over is the, is the actual limits of, of money. And we, we all know it. We just, oftentimes we don't live according to the reality that, that money and finances have limits. One of the, and I, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a buddy of mine and so, um, we do this, and when you have lifelong relationships, you, you make mistakes, and your good friends get to learn from them. I've made plenty of mistakes, and he's gotten to learn from me, but this is one of what he would say is his mistake, and, and I've been able to learn from him. Um, in college, he decided to uh, pick a major simply because it was the fastest track to a, a good-paying job, um, and then he got the job, and then, and then early on to it, he, he uh, hated it. But he counted down the years till he was vested because of the insurance, I mean, not the insurance, the uh, retirement and investments and all that. And so he, he stayed in it, but he, but he hated it. And I was in grad school and, and I, was, I was paying out money and he was actually working a legit job and making money. And so we were going in the opposite direction. And funny thing is that I was becoming more and more excited about life and he was becoming more and more disappointed in life. And he said he was on track to retire by 40 which I was like, well, I'm on track to get employed by 40, so that's, that's great. Sometime in his 30s, he and, he and his wife make a, an investment in a, in a company. And uh, it was, oh, when was this? No, I think it was right, right a couple years right before um, our economy uh, took, a, took a wrong turn about 10 years ago. And everything in his life changed. Built up all this, invested in a company, and the company went, boop! Like, life, boom. All of a sudden, it just is all gone. Now, he still had a good job and, and, and good income and, and some, some savings, but, but all of his plans and all of his trajectory and all of it, just, just gone. And it was, this, it was this come to Jesus moment for him. And he was a follower of Jesus, but then he... <laughs> He had the opportunity. Are you really going to follow Jesus or are you going to eject? He's like, I don't, like, 
My financial satisfaction and security looks very different. Proverbs says this, verse chapter 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. I mean, just, just take that alone. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. I don't know, but I think it would be okay as if we took out cleverness and said ingenious financial planning. Don't trust in that alone. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. For they will surely get invested in a company, and the whole housing market will crash, and an eagle will swoop by and carry your company off to another unknown land. I mean, that, it says it right there. This is, this is wisdom. Don't set your feet firmly in the direction that finances invite us and call us. Don't make finances and wealth and money your true north at the beginning to direct all of your decisions. Don't make it your satisfaction and your security. It's something we need. It's a reality of life, but it, it is not to become our God, our true north, the directing influence of our life. One of the things that the Proverbs does is it just, it, it, it offers this great uh, clarity by saying, here's finances, and then here's something better. And it just does that over and over. L listen to these. I'm going to skip the next verse. Go to chapter 8 um, on, this, on the screen. Chapter 8, verses uh, 10 and 11. It, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to just really quick give you, give you five things that, that Proverbs says, this is better than, than having wealth. Choose my instruction instead of silver. And the voice speaking here is wisdom. And if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, we learned that wisdom is in the female voice for a very clear reason. Uh, it may not be the reason that you're thinking. We don't have time to go into it, but it's wisdom. It's painting wisdom as a, as a person speaking. And wisdom says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. It goes later. This verse isn't up there, I don't think, but verse 19, my fruit is better than fine gold, what I yield surpasses choice silver. It's directly contrasting monetary value, silver, gold, rubies, and wisdom. It's putting them on a comparison and saying, choose wisdom. Wisdom is better. Understanding how God sees the world and behaving accordingly is better than having a bigger bank account. That's, that's exactly what, what this is saying. Money is everywhere. Not a lot of it, but it, it, it's everywhere. It, 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 again, it permeates every part of our life. It's just a constant in our life and existence. We need it. We use it. We have to manage it. We want more of it. Sometimes we want less of it. It's, it's all around us. It's a part of our, our very lives. Wisdom is not. Wisdom we have to seek and find. Wisdom we have to work for. Wisdom we have to develop. Wisdom we have to glean. We have to work for, we have to work for money too. But wisdom isn't just really available. We have to seek it out. And so it's helpful to know it's better than the, uh, I've remembered this quote for a few years now, but a, a, a comedian and actor, uh, Jim Carrey, at one time was the highest paid uh, male actor in, in Hollywood. I don't remember what the amount was, but some ridiculous amount of millions for every film that he did, and most of them were funny, and then he stopped being funny, and so he doesn't get paid as much anymore. But when he was really funny and getting paid a lot, he said this, and this is actually one of the reasons he stopped being as funny, because he ran searching, and he said this, he said, everyone should get rich and get whatever they dreamed of. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Everyone should get rich and get everything that they dreamed of because then they will learn 
that that's not the answer. And that's from a guy who's been there. I don't know if you remember Jim Carrey, I don't know what you think of him, but he's been on this complicated up and down spiritual quest for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Searching for God, denying God back and forth. I wish everyone, everyone should get rich and get whatever they dreamed of because then they'll know it's, it's not the answer. Wisdom is better than rubies and silver and gold. 11 verse four says another thing that, that is better than wealth. It says, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Listen to that again. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Here, let me catch this. In the day of wrath, so at the end of our lives, uh, when, when there's a judgment and, and God looks at us and says, and, and scripture tells us he's gonna judge every single one of us, he says, at, at that point, wealth is irrelevant. Wealth doesn't matter. Now, we know this. You know, you hear the age-old, you know, often repeated, uh, what is it, uh, uh, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, which, why somebody hasn't done that just for kicks, I don't know. But you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse or then a change of Brinks trucks behind a hearse. And, 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 and it's, the, the idea is, is that when, when you die and are, are buried, that, that your money doesn't go with you unless you're a Pharaoh. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't go with you to where, where you're going. And we get that, right? But... I mean, if you have a lot of money, or maybe if you can just have a little, I mean, you can decide where it goes. You can bless people and give to your relatives or, or friends or your grandkids or whatever you want. I mean, you can, you can do that when you die, so you can still utilize it. And then it says righteousness, but righteousness delivers from death. And that means a couple things. And, and, and the first thing it means is that when this life ends and our bank account doesn't matter anymore, that God will look on us. And for those of us that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as King and as Redeemer, when we've been believing in Jesus and following Jesus, he looks at us and he, he sees his, his blameless, sinless son and the price that he paid for us. And so that righteousness is worth more because we spend eternity with God. We start eternity right in the here and now, but it continues on after this physical body is done. And so yeah, righteousness is worthwhile at the day of wrath and death. But righteousness in Proverbs means something else. It has a social aspect to it, as does wealth. In Proverbs, wealth and righteousness have a very social aspect. It, it acknowledges what it means in the here and now. And one thing that righteousness means in Proverbs is not just at the time that our, our life ends, but, but righteousness means, and is contrasted to wickedness, and it means there for the advancement of others that you use your ability and resources to help others, and wickedness is you take from others. One of, the, one of the consistent themes through Proverbs is don't gain wealth dishonorably. Don't take from those. Don't oppress others to get wealth. Wickedness is that. It has a social aspect where it takes from others and keeps for itself, and righteousness uses what we have to benefit other people. And so righteousness delivers from death even in the here and now. It can actually practically help a person and bring more life and less death into their existence. That's what it says. And therefore, righteousness in the here and now is worth more, is better than wealth. Another one is the fear of the Lord. And we've hit this a number of times over this series that the fear of the Lord is where wisdom and knowledge start. 15 verse 16, better a little fear, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. So it's better to not have as much money and know the Lord and fear the Lord and have wisdom than to have great wealth and turmoil. 
The fourth thing is this, and it's in the very next verse, and it's one I read a few weeks ago because I thought it was funny, and and I want to read it again because it's also meaningful. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. To better have a little bit and no meat, just to have you know beans and tofu and, and, and whatever else goes with vegetables, for those of you that eat that, and to have a little bit, to not have meat, but to have a little bit, than to have a fattened calf and a huge feast with hatred, but better to have a little bit with love. What, it, what it's talking about there is that better than having wealth and a big feast is to have a little bit when there's good relationships. My dad worked for one company the majority of his adult life. He worked for a company called Xerox. It's still in existence, shockingly, but it's still in existence. And, and he worked for Xerox for, I don't know, 35 plus years. My whole life growing up in, in our home, he worked for Xerox. And um, he was a service technician, which means that he got in his car in the morning and went out to wherever copying machines uh, needed to be fixed, and he would go and fix them. And then he would come home at night. And I can remember sitting around the dinner table at night, listening to my dad talk about work. And the names would be familiar. They stayed the same for a year. So I would, I would catch the names over the dinner table and go, okay, he's talking about work. And he would talk about where he went and, and what he did. And often the other thing that I would glean from those conversations of him and my mom talking were, were his invitations, his opportunities to move up the ranks in his company. And the next rank for him would have been into management. And so they would often talk about how he's offered a management position. And I would listen to that and, and, and gain a little bit of this is what a management position is. And I didn't understand. I was early elementary school when this would happen. And I went, oh, okay, like that's good. And then I would, you know, days later be out, you know, maybe in the yard or in the garage with my dad and say, hey, dad, it sounded like you were offered a promotion at work. And he said, yeah. I said, but it sounds like you're not going to take it. And he said, no. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're here now and you've got an opportunity to go here. And, and did I, you're saying no. That seems weird. Can I help you out, Dad? Um, I know I'm only in third grade, but I think I can direct you a little bit here. So, and he began to explain why he didn't want the next position. And I barely understood this as like a third grader. And he said, you know what? I would get a raise. I would get paid more money. But what happens with managers in his company and in many companies is they no longer are hourly, they're salaried. And they no longer have very clear responsibilities. They have broad responsibilities. And their hours are broad. And he says, what managers do is they have to go solve problems, even if the workday is done. They have to go in on weekends when the job's not done. They have to stay late often. I said, but wait, but you get paid more, right? To which I was easily translating, as I think most of us would, is that's more Legos for me. I will get more Legos if you would take this position and make more money. Will you please take this position? And then he said, I'm not willing to do that. I rarely saw my dad in the morning. If I did see him, it was because he was giving my mom a kiss and heading out the front door. Particularly when I got into high school, I never saw him because I slept in all the time. But as I can remember, growing up, my dad working at the same company, virtually the same position most of the time, is I think I can count on one hand the times that he missed dinner because he was still at work. In 18 years in our home, I can remember less than five times that he missed dinner for work. My dad said in his words and in his action, my relationship with your mom and my relationship with you and your sister are more important than your Legos. 
And I got there eventually and appreciated that. And he modeled for me, if we have to just eat vegetables, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be present with you. And you're going to know me and I'm going to know you. And that's better than you having a whole bunch of Legos or a fattened calf and me not being there. Our relationships are more important than wealth. The last one is this, 16 verse 19. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. It's better to be humble than to be wealthy. Humility is better than great wealth. And this is modeled by our Savior. Jesus, the great, the great hymn written down in Philippians that says that Jesus himself humbled himself and made himself lowly to come and to be with us. And it says, and this isn't up on the screen, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, the richest in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again among us in humanity, we are invited into something that's rich. Not a number in a bank account, not an investment, not a plan for retirement, but rich meaning a life walking with Jesus, knowing God in the here and now, and being able to share that righteousness with others is a different and better kind of life than any dollar amount will ever bring any of us. Here's what I wanted you to do is if you'd close your eyes with me. We have, a, we have an opportunity to come, as we always do, to these tables in front of us. And they're a tangible, tasteable, physical reminder of the way that Jesus was humiliated and humbled by choice for us, giving his life for us, and an invitation to a path to, to the kind of wealth that is not measured in rubies and silver and gold and bank accounts and numbers but a kind of wealth that is experienced and tasted and seen and known as a life pursuing God and his wisdom in this world in the here and now. And so Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and we come joyfully, willingly with our need laid before you and say that we need you and we want to orient our very lives around you. We want you to be our true north. We want you to be the person, the one that all of our decisions and all of our energy and all of our life is directed to and following. And so help us to do that today with every part of our life, including how we view and dream about and think and manage and spend money. 